everyone. Welcome to the Golden Ratio Podcast. I am Jen, GR Mom, joined as always by GR Dad. Hi. How you doing, GR Dad? Good. I'm going to open the cocktail of the week. Very dramatic. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. It's in a can, guys. <laughs> it's not really a cocktail. Um, so friend of the squad, Kayla, said, you like cider and you haven't had any from the Pacific Northwest, so I'm sending you some. So this is Incline Cider Company Prickly Pear Cider, 19.2 ounce. Live taste test mm-hmm. commencing. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's delish. It tastes kind of... We're lucky. It would have been embarrassing to have to be like, oh. Kayla, your cider sucks. No, it's really good. This gift is terrible. It we would tastes have a lot like peaches. I wonder if it's also got peach in it in addition to prickly pear. Prickly pears taste more kind of like green grapes or... Oh, it does like, totally taste like peach. Like a... You bite into a like peach off the tree, like with the fuzzy skin and everything. Yeah. It says apples and prickly pears, but it's got a real peach, like not artificial peach. I could see apple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very good. That's good. It's not putting spikies in my hand or my tongue. So <laughs> like, like prickly it's pears do. Well processed. It's real it's also pear. really dry. It's not sweet at all. Yes. Which is very mm-hmm. important to it's me good. in the cider. Fruity, but not sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Kayla. That's delish. Yeah. We have, we're have we sharing one big can right now since it's 19.2 ounces. It's spelled out like in letters 19.2. Uh, but there's a she sent two, so there's a second one. It's the size of a monster energy drink. This is That's actually 16 ounces, which I know from making the monster pickles. Oh, really? Yeah. This is bigger? It's bigger than a monster. Wow. So... That's good. This is going to be a long podcast, though, so we may end up breaking out the second one before the <laughs> podcast is over. <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's see. So we're doing a Q&A podcast, but we have like 500 questions, and a lot of them are like good questions. But there's not like a ton of duplicates. We're just going to answer all of them. 500 questions. One minute per question is about what? I don't know. Six hours? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to take a long time. A lot of hours. Eight hours. Yeah. We're, I don't think we're going to do all that. Some of them will be really fast to answer. And some... <laughs> I hope they're all yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so the rules may be slightly bent on this podcast as to when we do what. Because if we go for an hour, we may break it into like two episodes. Are you saying it's more like a no rules podcast? I, perhaps. Excellent. Perhaps, yeah. I like those. <laughs> Before we get into the Q&A... Um, Let's do everybody updates. I continue to dominate TikTok. <laughs> God, am I good at TikTok? Does it hurt like being with somebody who's so good at TikTok? And go? I mean, I you know, I'm I'm on ibuprofen all the time because <laughs> of the ache of awesomeness. So yesterday, I was like, I'm having a great time <clears throat> with TikTok. I, like, I'm really enjoying this. I've, I'm full of ideas. Like, I love it when I'm like, I can do this and this and this and this. Oh. And Part of what I was thinking is I'm like, I'm very good at this. I mean, I also have a PhD in this, right? Like my job is to study how stuff works here and like to know the things to pick out, which like I feel like I'm always impressed when I see people do that in other spaces, like people who are like really into cooking and can identify like, oh, this has this spice and this spice and this spice. Yeah. I'm like, I can sort of, because like I cook okay at home, but like I can't go out and be like, oh, I know exactly how I'd make that. Or people who can like hear like a really complex piece of music and like they just recognize like all the parts in it. Yeah. Like you have to really understand it in depth to do that. And so like that's my job with social media, right? Is to like really pick up on all those little things. 
So I have followed a couple social media consultants who have, you know, kind of interesting pages. They're not telling me stuff that I don't know, but I was like, well, this is interesting for my students, right? Because they ask a lot of these kinds of questions. And I was like, well, I can totally make this page. So yesterday, I was like, I'm going to make a, you know, Dr. Jen Goldbeck TikTok where I just do little videos on like social media tips, like how to get followers, how to go viral. Um, so it's been going probably for maybe 30 hours and I have 11,000 followers. I have a couple videos with 100,000 views already. Like I'm just fucking good at it. Only 300 of them are me. <laughs> you just keep watching my videos over and over again. <laughs> no, I'm just, I've made a lot of accounts. Oh, I like it. Yeah, no, it's super fun. And then uh, I put the dogs in them now. So I've decided like part of, you can just set that on the counter. It's okay. Your dad's always very careful setting glasses down. Yeah. Uh, I've decided I'm always going to have a dog in the video with me. Like, Walk is just sitting next to me in the video. Like, I think it's like a funny little shtick and people like it. So, bonus dog content. Follow Jen Goldbeck on TikTok. You just got more followers. Just na- right now. Right now. They, now. Right now. It's funny. Like, my videos are showing up on the For You page. On, it's like the first video that some people are showing. Like, I'm really, like, I really nailed That's the That's right. Not everyone, I mean... The for you really is for you, right? Not every, everyone's different. Yeah, that's right. It's personalized. Interesting. But it's TikTok is pushing my stuff to a lot of people. So some guy had commented, this is a scam. And I was like, it's not a scam. Like, I'm not making money off this. And if I wanted to, you couldn't afford me anyway. And like, here's a tip. Everybody thinks it's very funny. And like, guac is in it. And uh, But there's all these people who are like, you just showed up on my for you page. And you're like GR mom, like you run the golden ratio. Like I love your Instagram. <laughs> so people who like, you know, are not obviously not podcast listeners or, right. you know, whatever. Like I'm suddenly like my face and Guacoman <laughs> is like thrust in front of them on the For You page. So I'm having a super fun time. With Worlds it. colliding for people. Yeah. So TikTok was a safe space before, but not anymore. Not safe for me. Uh, do you have any personal news to share? domination of any space no (laughs) i'm trying to support you and your domination you're doing a great job yeah i'm fine with being behind this power yeah and uh i keep telling gr dad that he just needs to quit his job and then you know he can handle like it's very demoralizing i mean i have a little voice in my head that says i should quit but then having a real voice saying i should quit too is like Huh. I didn't know I was demoralizing you. Well, I mean, not demoralizing, but it doesn't make me motivated for work to keep, like, thinking, everybody wants me to quit. <laughs> <laughs> everybody I care about wants me to quit. I Wait, who's the other person besides me? Me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wait, I think that's I'm not me, saying we're disagreeing. That's me being supportive. Yeah. Also, yes. True. Demoralizing because you're, like, uh, thinking to yourself, like, I want to quit my job. And me being, like... Yes, you no, should quit your job. don't quit your Like, supportive in your system would be like, no, you need to keep doing your job. You are irreplaceable, and the world would crumble without you and your job. I mean, that's the other voice in my head. I have several voices oh. in my head. I want you to do whatever makes you happy, but uh. if you quit your job, you could just make Golden Ratio content full-time and support all of my craziness. Where I'd be like, today we're going to the woods. And laundry and dishes. And laundry and dishes. And Good we deal. do those anyway. Good so. deal. Yeah, but I'd have more time to do it better. <laughs> I, I, I would have fresh sheets on the bed every day. Better. 
fresh sheets on the bed is like one of my favorite things. Oh my goodness. I would be, the folding would be more precise and everything because <laughs> I wouldn't be running back and forth all the time. To your dad's folding. I don't fold, right? Like I just kind of toss my stuff into the drawer. It's fine. And Jared dad like always has these perfectly folded t-shirts and everything. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm very proud of doing little things well. You like, do it very well. When I fold a napkin and it looks smooth, I'm like, hey, cool. Good job, Ingo. I'm now embarrassed whenever I do laundry because I'm like, this. I can't fold these towels nice. I don't have these skills. No, it doesn't bother me, but I'm, but I'm always pleased when I do it right. You do a very good job. No. Good job. Thank you. Good. Okay. Uh, so dog updates, we got nothing. Everybody's doing fine. Yeah. I mean, that's an update and it's good. Yep. Uh, it's just not drama. Yeah, we went to the vet. Uh, the Morris Animal Foundation thing, like, turns out has to be on a weekday. So, Jared Dad's taking him back next week, next Friday to do that. Yeah, if you want to hear about the Morris Animal Foundation, there's a good podcast about it called Because Science. That's like GR Mom's baby podcast. Like, the first time it's I was like... Like half an hour about the Morris Animal Foundation lifetime golden retriever study. Yeah, I mean, like, four or five years ago, I, I had, like, four or five episodes of a podcast that is mostly defunct it's very bad i mean poorly edited and overly scripted i don't think it's bad but it does lack me <laughs> that's true it's much better having you on i think at the time i was probably too embarrassed to do it it took a long time to get you to do this one yeah and you're like nobody's going to listen to me and i'm like everybody likes you better dear dad i don't think either of those things are true <laughs> but i tend to the former nobody's going to want to listen to me you yeah. have the radio voice i got like the radio face that Okay. <laughs> you go ahead. All right. Should we jump into questions? Yes. Okay. I'm kind of reading them in Twitter order. Um, all right. <laughs> if CBGB gets too annoying, can you send him to me? <laughs> no. <laughs> he doesn't follow directions that well either. He'd, he'd get lost at the first turn. Where does Hobbs spend the night? Is her a bank that waits by the door for GR Dad? Uh, so Hobbs spends the night uh they all everybody sleeps in the bedroom mm -hmm. they hops tends to sleep by the bathroom door on tile she likes being on tile sometimes just one ear i mean there's tile in the bedroom floor too but mm -hmm. there's like one ear yeah. in the bathroom she which means it's impossible to close the door yep to totally intentional hops we know <laughs> this <laughs> and then they kind of line up just along the perimeter of the bedroom basically yeah it's a little bit random based on timing yep and guac is half the time in the bed yep so. Yep, Woods likes to sleep with his head in a corner because he likes to stand with his head in a corner, and that seems to be what he does. We have many questions about how do we deal with the shedding. And so we have a, I'd say, a three-pronged approach. One is that I try really hard to brush as much as possible, but none of them actually enjoy being brushed. Like, they try to walk away. So sometimes I'll catch them when they're vulnerable <laughs> and, and do it's a good brushing. Real sleepy, yeah. Um, but, you know, brushing helps all of that stuff that doesn't come out. Yeah. Um, and then we vacuum kind of a lot. We should vacuum every day. Sometimes we don't because in this house, the, a lot of it will end up on the tile and we just kind of pick it up. Yeah, we can't collect dust bunnies. Um, but we should vacuum every day. A pro tip, get rugs that are the color of your dogs mm -hmm. because then it's way less obvious when there's fur all over your rugs. Yeah, that really helps. So we sometimes go a couple of days without vacuuming. Uh, and then also, we just don't care that much about having dog fur on everything. Like, you can't with this many dogs. Yeah, if I wear a black t-shirt, certain black t-shirts just absorb the white, especially the, from, from CBGB or Voods. But I, like, pet them, and then it looks furry. It looks funny. Yeah. 
Um, let's see. We have a ton of questions about like particular dog issues that I want to answer with like general, how do you do positive reinforcement training with your dog? Recognizing that it's like really hard More to food. do. Uh, it, it definitely helps when they're food motivated. So this person says, uh, my dog, I started positive training enforcement, positive reinforcement training with my dog when he's a pup, but now he's overweight oh, and yeah. I'm not sure how to reduce the treats, but still work on his behavioral issues. <sighs> he lunges and barks at other dogs on our walks and he's super excitable. And so, you know, how the hell do you deal with that? So one is that sometimes you just have to give them the snacks because fixing the behavior is more important than fixing the weight. Yeah. Um, we try to reduce the num the intake of food rather than the training treats. Yeah. So we, for like voodoo, the vet like calculated, he should have whatever 1200 calories a day is what he should be eating for his weight loss. And so we go, we kind of figure out a treat budget and that can be with training treats, whatever carrots, everything goes in there. How much is he getting from that? Um, I actually was weighing out his treats at first to be like, you know, he gets two ounces of dehydrated oh, liver, yeah. um, to make sure, you know, we don't give him more than that. And I don't think we were reaching it, right? We weren't emptying that bag. No, we were doing okay with it. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's, that's sort of one thing. Yeah. Reduce the food. Um, also there's a ton of like super low cal treats, especially for training where you only have to give them a tiny little taste. There are little training treats that are like one calorie each, but you can use like dehydrated green beans. I, I mean, I've dehydrated them in the oven. They get real, real small. <laughs> they do get real small. But whatever. I mean, it's the f fine size. But those um, liver snaps are... Your dad calls everything liver snaps. Which ones? The Charlie Bear treats? Yes, Charlie you Bear treats. You always call those liver snaps. They're yes. not even liver flavored. I don't know why they call, I call them those. Yeah. <laughs> so the Charlie Bear treats are like one calorie each. They're like little flat, crunchy discs. Um, there's training treats that you can get. Um, Voodoo came with dehydrated like liver or lung, like something like that. Oh yeah. Which is, uh, or freeze, I'm sorry, freeze dried. Uh, and that's, you know, a small bite of that is actually very low cal. So low cal treats. And then we're not going to be able to do like every training issue, but this is a hard one and a good one to think about. Like generally you want to think about either what's a thing that will discourage them from doing the bad thing or what's a way that you can control them from doing it. Mm -hmm. So one, like one person had messaged where their dog eat, like they go out for walks and their dog eats poop, not its own poop. If that, if you have that problem, there's treats for that that makes their own poop taste bad. But if it's eating like animal poop and other dogs and stuff, sure. and she wants to stop it. So for that, I'm like, for like a week, you just got to get, there's a super bad tasting thing, not the bitter apple, which some dogs think is delish. There's one that like, you can't even breathe it in Ugh. and then it sticks. It's real bad. If you want a recommendation, like you can find it on Amazon, but I'll, I'll dig it out. So get like this super toxic, bad taste stuff for dogs. And then your job is going to be either go out on your walking route before you go with your dog by yourself and spray all the poop that your dog might find, or just keep an eagle eye on them and spray it ahead of time. So the idea is that once they get it, it's going to be really bad the first few times, and then they're not going to want to do it again. And they look at it and they go, that is terrible tasting. I have learned that lesson. Yeah. 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 Um, but with like the lunging and stuff, that doesn't work. And so for that, you kind of have to work up to it. And a lot of these things, whether it's like separation anxiety or whatever, you start with like the teeniest, tiniest step. So for this, you want to teach him first to be just like perfect in his sit and stay work on it in your house 
for months. And like, I know you have to take walks in the meantime, but you want to get like that sit to just be instant and perfect and the stay. So you can like walk circles around them. You can leave the room, you can come back and they do the stay. So it's just ingrained that like, as soon as you, if they hear you say it, they do it. Um, you may have to use some high value treats for that. You may have to get a clicker. So when you say like sit and you click the clicker, like that's just an extra cue in their head, but get that perfect. Like usually we don't get those things perfect cause it doesn't matter all that much. I mean, none of our dogs have a very good stay. It doesn't matter that much, but in a situation like this, if you're approaching another dog, if you can put him in a sit and stay, when you see the other dog and wait till they pass, like that's going to reduce the anxiety and whatever. So you got to think about like, what would be, so like we're dealing with this with guac now, like we've had friends who are down here. So they've come over to visit a couple times. And as soon as they show up, like he gets so wound up and he's jumping and he gets way off the ground and is jumping on them. And like, he barks and he's so super excited. He just hasn't seen people for a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I know. And we haven't been able to train him on this because there haven't been people around. So, you know, we're kind of like, okay, so now we've got to get him to be able to like go to his place and stay there and whatever. And then eventually they calm down and it becomes easier. But like, it's a thing we haven't had to train him on before, but now we're really going to have to work on it. But you really have to work on it. It's like a school homework situation. Yep. If it's too much for you, um, you know, a a good trainer can do that in a week of day camp. So Michael, who's the trainer that we use at Old Town Pet Resort, um, I know I've told the story a bunch of times, like Toby, the impossible dog that we fostered, Muto. he had the best stay I've ever seen on any dog after 10 days with Michael. It, I mean, it was phenomenal. And then, you know, you've got to keep drilling it to make sure they don't forget, but it, it can be trained in very quickly and then it becomes reliable in the face of other stuff. So that's, yeah. you know, if your dog has separation anxiety, you do the same thing, but you work them up to it. So if there's a thing they're scared of, whether it's you're leaving, whether it's the vacuum, you say, okay, we're just going to sit here. I'll put the vacuum in another room or I'm going to stand next to the door and then just give them treats and do that for a week until they don't freak out that you're going to the door. You want it to be something that doesn't freak them out. Put your door, put your hand on the door handle. Don't open it. Just put your, and then give them treats and do that for a week or, you know, move the vacuum into the room, not plugged in, not anything. So they say, okay, this is fine. Like this isn't scary. And then kind of just open the door and close it. Don't go out or, you know, unwind the cord from the vacuum. Give them treats. Do that for a week. And you really have to make sure there's like no anxiety that they think the vacuum being in the room is awesome because they get <laughs> snacks. Jen touching the door is awesome because whenever she does that, I get a snack. And then eventually, you know, you don't go then, okay, now I turn the vacuum on. Now I leave for an hour, but you kind of open the door, walk out, don't even close it and walk back in, stand outside of it for increasing amounts of time, two seconds, five seconds, 10, 30, it, you know, it can take months if you're dealing with a real anxiety, but if you kind of work them up to it to kind of make it, this isn't scary. Like this is a good thing and never let them get to the freaked out point that'll work. So that's like general positive reinforcement training. We have a whole previous episode, like an earlier podcast episode on positive reinforcement training. So if you're struggling with that, maybe go, I don't even remember what we said in it, but I know it's a whole episode about that. I think it's consistent. All right. We can't have all of our answers be that long, Jen. Yeah. Geez. 480 <laughs> minutes. Oh my God. Um, do you have suggestions about how to get a dog to go stay in their place? We just talked about that. Okay. Yes. See above. Voods Foods hey. asks at Voods Foods on Twitter. 
Could foods have celery sticks as a keto treato at carrot time? Why foods foods? We just got celery sticks. Vood was not very enthused, actually. <laughs> he, he thinks it's less exciting than actual sticks. He's like, this is not foods foods. I would rather eat that rotten wood from the beach. All right, take your drink, dear dad, because this question is specifically for you. For dear dad. How slash why did you go from the World Bank to insurance bad faith? For someone who has practiced in the latter, that seems like a unique left turn. However, as someone just a few years behind you in practice, I have definitely played the game of what next. There we go. A lawyery question for you. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's not necessarily the subject. It was just, the, you know, the World Bank's a big bureaucracy, and I got to a point where the demands I was sort of putting on myself for the for the position i was promoted and i was managing people but i still had to manage up and it just wasn't sustainable for me to do the things i wanted the way i wanted them and then it you know came together with also moving to the keys and working remotely um and the insurance bad faith was a was more a return to litigation uh, and the things that I'd done before and, and using courtroom experience and things like that. So it wasn't wasn't necessarily the, the subject. It didn't have to be insurance bad faith litigation, um, but it happened to be that in the firm that I joined, um, and they were looking for someone in Florida. So that was more of a geographic uh, issue than a, you know, must leave the World Bank or must change, you know, career paths. It was more of a lifestyle choice and i've done most of my career decisions based on lifestyle i mean most of i think i've told my parents you know I've, every job i've had has paid less than a job before which is not exactly what is the intention in these in these uh, career moves but it's mostly to get more free time and more control over my time and more autonomy and do things i want instead of you know and as a law firm having to grind away at someone else's schedule on someone else's whim what do you think about a career change towards manager of dogs? Dogs are notoriously difficult to manage. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to think about it. You know, I kind of have a hobby like that right now. Yeah, no kidding. No. <laughs> Tips for introducing new doggos to the squad. So I think we did a, a podcast about this once, um, but we have a very well-honed practice for this. Yeah, I so mean, it's it starts, though, with selection, right? I mean, so, mm -hmm. some dogs we wouldn't try to force into the squad. It, but, you know, someone has to be generally compatible in the first place. Yeah, and so, you know, if it seems like that's going to work, uh, Dad goes on a road trip and gets groceries and comes back with a dog. And uh, so we make sure that he shows up not in the middle of the night. We did that, I guess, was that when we got Brody that you got home at like 3 a.m.? Yeah, it was with the RV. Oh, it was very bad. I mean, because like... I we mean, had... the, the night was shot. It was bad for those reasons, too. Yeah, I mean, you were exhausted. And then all the other dogs are asleep, so they're not expecting anything to happen. And then a new dog comes in, and we had just gotten guac like a week, maybe two weeks before. Yeah, so he, he was, was already out of control still running away and stuff yeah. so we ended up having to sleep in separate bedrooms and it was just it sucked so like we have a current policy which is all dogs must arrive in the light so they can no. they can do things and that means you know gr dad has spent nights in hotels even though he could have made it home by like midnight yeah because we can't do dog introductions in the middle of the night so uh gr dad gets home 
and we first let the new dog out to explore the yard. And we did this in Maryland too, when we would bring in new fosters. So we let them out, just walk around the yard. They can do their business. They can kind of sniff everything. Sniff that there are other dogs around. Yeah. And so we give them however long they need, but five or 10 minutes usually. And they're like, okay, like I'm in this yard. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Uh, Then we introduce the transition team, which is Hops and Vink, sometimes one at a time, sometimes together, um, because they're super empathetic about other dogs. And safe, and they they don't make it about themselves. No, that's right. I mean, they they don't get super wound up. Like, they're excited to see a new dog, but if the new dog is, like, freaked out, they back off. Um, They're really friendly. Like, they'll never engage. They both have sort of submissive tendencies where, like, if another dog is, like, super freaked out, they're not going to go after them right they're gonna kind of run away basically um so they're the transition team and uh so depends here we can just bring them out um and sometimes we would in maryland depends on the other dog sometimes i'd bring them out on a leash and kind of Mm -hmm. keep hops and vink or hops and or vink on the leash let the other dog kind of have free reign to go away here there's enough space and, and we've sort of judged that all of the dogs that we've brought in here have been okay um, then we bring out the other dogs one at a time. Guac has actually been really good. Like when we brought mm-hmm. Patrick, I was like, oh, Guac is going to be an asshole to this poor dog. And Guac's like, yeah, another dog. Yeah, it's fine. He actually got kind of gentle. Yeah. Because he, he was kind of still hyper at the time, but he was remarkably restrained around St. Patrick. It just didn't trigger the spazziness in him. No. And I mean, same with, with Voodoo and Little Cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, he's He's actually very good. I mean, everybody here all the dogs now have been really good. So we, one at a time, we'll bring out the more dogs and then just give them a lot of time outside because mo- our dogs will then kind of go to their normal routine. So they'll go in the water, they'll yeah. like, roll around in the grass. Um, they don't, you know, they'll kind of sniff the other dog at first, but they don't put a lot of pressure on them. And then the other dog has the freedom to like engage if they want, check out the water, do whatever. Yeah. But it's like positive reinforcement. If that first experience were a bad one, mm-hmm. that could that's going to take a while to undo, right? If the dog gets freaked out, then then that then the whole thing's going to be on a bad footing for a while. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. And then once they've done that, you know, then they can come in. A lot of times we'll leave the doors open. So if it gets too close in here, anybody can go back outside. Same thing in Maryland. Um, if you've seen videos of us bringing dogs in in Maryland, you've seen we've got the split screen there, which is, is a learning process for the dogs. The to fly screen. They can just walk through the screen. So we've always have to like hold that open for the new dogs because they don't understand how to get they back can, out. They can push through, but they have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, that's fine. Then they tend to be, you know, at that point, it's probably been an hour mm-hmm. by the time they come inside. And, we, you know, we make sure that the new dog has all the space that they need so if they need private space we'll put them in a room put up a gate close a door whatever um but usually they're all good yeah and then you have to watch out about food um issues right you don't know if the new dog's going to be jealous or possessive or protective chief brody surprisingly gets grumpy sometimes when people when somebody when tries other to take his food away try to muscle in while he's eating he get he gets grumpy which is surprising for him because he's so even tempered yeah and it's interesting because it's not food guarding like i can go down and take his food or right. you know and hand it to somebody else um but he he does go like get the fuck out of here get on my face yeah. yeah so new dogs will typically like the positions shift around when we get new dogs they often will eat out on the porch because then they can be yeah they can have their own space have yeah. their own space mm-hmm. till we figure it out uh let's see 
Oh, so we got one question. Have you ever collected the fur and weighed it? I think that's our friend Asta from Iceland. And then someone said, did you ever make anything with the yarn from the squad's fur? So we did once collect fur for a long time. I don't think like we it, weighed it because it's, it doesn't register on the scale. I mean, no, it was so like light. two pounds of fur, I think. Oh, that one. Uh, yeah, it was not a ton, but we, I mean, it looked like a lot. Yeah, like a kitchen trash bag <laughs> full of fur. And we found a friend of the squad who is a spinner, and they spun the dog fur into yarn. There are people on the internet who can do this, but they tend to be really backed up. It's called Shiangora, like Angora from a bunny, but <laughs> Shiangora from a dog. Like that's a real, that's not a made up name. That's mm, the real name. It's, uh-huh. There's all sorts of stuff. Dog yarn, Shiangora. Um, and then we probably, she mixed it because it it's real frizzy. We still have it. I we think. still have. Yeah, yeah. I think she made four or five skeins of it for us. Um, we didn't do much with it. I don't know how to knit. Oh, I tried once and it was very, very bad. Uh, I didn't like it. I was very bad at it and I was not motivated to get better. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how to knit. So I did. I made like some super chunky friendship bracelets, like big ass friendship bracelets uh, out of the yarn. And, and we gave those to a few people. Um, I probably made five or six of them and, and sent them to people who were probably like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Like big fuzzy thing. Um, I'm sure they appreciated the sentiment, but yeah, we've got the rest downstairs. So, uh, it's definitely a thing. If you have a fluffy dog, you want undercoat for this, which is you know, most of what they shed anyway. Which is all of Vink. Yeah. Vink is all undercoat. And, uh, you know, our spinner was like it, so I don't remember what kind of wool she spun it with, but you could see there was like a, a kind of lighter strand, which was the wool that she spun it with, and then a, a kind of yellower strand, which was the dog's fur, and it was from all the dogs. And uh, and so each strand was like that twisted together because um, that gives it some more strength. I think the Shiangor is kind of fragile, and it's also really frizzy. In short, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we've still got it. I don't know what the heck you could make out of it. Icelandic sweater. Maybe. Asta. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but anyway, it's a thing that you can do if you collect the fur of your dogs over time. I'm super pleased with it, even though we haven't done anything really with the yarn. Yeah, and we haven't been disciplined about brushing them into a bag since then either, but we've certainly created several things by then. This person has a bunch of questions, but one is, how would you change from an all-girl squad to an, like, basically all-boy squad? It's just what we get. Situational. Yeah, we're beggars. We're not choosers. Yep. Uh, It was a roll of the dice that we ended up with all girls before. And then we got boyfriend. And then it's been all boys. I guess we got the Swizz. But mostly boys coming in after that. Swizz is a girl. (laughs) Unless I missed something. No, no. That's what I'm saying. We uh, we got boyfriend. And then we got the Swizz. But other than that, it's been all boys since then. Yeah. But if we find a, a girl dog next, that's great. I'm, make, all for it. I'm all in favor. Who makes more weird sounds, voodoo or CBGB? Voodoo sounds are weirder. Yeah, but think? CBGB makes more. He does. But for, for random reason, For no reason. Voodoo just like stands there and then he looks sideways <laughs> real slow. And then he opens his mouth. And then he goes, ow. Yeah, his ow. timing, his, like his, it'd be like a YouTube video where the sound doesn't line up. Like his his movements and his sound don't, don't. Don't line up. He's very strange. Uh, which member of the squad is the weirdest? It had always been Vink, but how does she compare with Guac and Voodoo? Oh, Vink's still super weird and is totally... But she's so low maintenance. She just she's does her little so thing. She's so low maintenance. And she requires 
so little attention. Yeah. We feel bad sometimes. Yeah. I, you have to like remember to do one-on-one time with Vink. Because like I try to take her walks and she's like, fucking no, I'm going to go hide. Under like, the desk. She doesn't want that. Uh I think she's she's really happy to just be, I'm going to lay here in the bed whenever, <laughs> which is like, it's a real gift when all these other dogs are so demanding or have whatever their issues are. Yeah, she's great. Um, I think Voodoo is weirder than Guac. He's a very sh- perplexing man. He, yeah, he is totally inscrutable. Guac looks, has a weird facial expression sometimes, but he's very predictable. Yeah. So, Voodoo man. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about selling plushies of every dog? Okay, so this is a very common request. Uh, it is hard to get plushies made. It's like like Bunsen and Beaker have done it, and then Matt did it with stuff friend Sebastian. Yeah. I mean, for both of them, it was like a two-year process of, of prototyping and whatever. Yeah. Um, and you have to basically get them made in China. It still ends up being pretty expensive. Like, it's a real thing and that's just for one you know yeah so for us to do all however many we did um it's just it's too much maybe if your dad quits his job you can make that a project (laughs) we would recommend going to ikea and getting their golden retriever doll because it looks a lot like just a real golden oh my god i didn't tell this story it's a good one okay so (laughs) we have so the golden retriever the stuffed golden retriever it's the same size as the blau high right it's a big pretty good it's yeah. about Vink size, maybe a tiny bit smaller, but it's pretty pretty close to life size. And at, at some point, you know, before we came down to Florida, we were at IKEA in Maryland, and I bought one on a whim. I mean, they're like ten bucks or something. Yeah, because like, it yeah. looks cute. It's cute. So we had that, and we have a shelf like in our basement that's like some of the squishables, and there's like a blow high or two, and then this golden retriever yeah. was on there because we we can't put all of that stuff out at once, <laughs> and so. GR dad had gone up to Maryland, whatever, like a month ago. And then I had to go up, what, two weeks later for the medical thing. So when GR dad was up there, he drove and he brought guac. And while he was there, he got the golden retriever from Ikea out and he left it on the couch in the spot that Vinks sleeps in. When I got up to Maryland, I was like, oh, there's a dog here. (laughs) Oh, there's not. And for the four days I was there, Every single time I'd be sitting on the couch and out of the corner of my eye, I would see this Ikea dog and then be like, oh, I haven't taken that dog out. I haven't given it dinner. What? Oh my God. I haven't like, I, haven't I have dog stuff dog. to do. And then oh, it's not a real dog. Like it, I was surprised by that dog a dozen times a day for four days. And I'd be like, I know it's a fake dog and go, but I'm just, I, my brain just keeps going. Oh, take care of the dog. Take care of the dog. Take it. I can't believe you ignored that dog. Yeah, but you left it there yeah. too. I mean, you, you kind of liked it. I mean, yeah, I mean that's where a dog should be, but it was it was amusing to me that my brain <laughs> couldn't could not couldn't, grasp couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, okay. So a lot of these are. I figured what would happen is a lot of these answers would be subsumed by others. What's the crazy thing Voods has tried to eat? The tin can, I think, was pretty bad. He, does, he punched holes in a tin can, ch- chomping it. He's done that several times. Yeah, with the tin cans. What does he try to eat? He, he tries to eat towels. He eats rocks. I mean, I I think he would. Re- he really tries to crunch a rock. Yeah, That's, I, mean, I think that just oh gives me the willies just thinking rocks. about what that would do to my teeth. Yep. We want to plan a vacation to the D.C. area. What are some of your recommendations? I definitely want to hit up Haleo. You've talked about it so much, and it sounds so good. Uh, 
What? Why'd you make that sound? Because the Haleo we really like is closed. Yeah, the, there's two. There's there's like four Haleos in DC, and we used to go to the one in Bethesda, and uh, of course it it was open until COVID started. I went there. I think the last week they were open, maybe, uh, and then you know they closed along with all the, with everything else. And then I, he took that opportunity. So Jose Andreas still owns that space or whatever, has a lease on that space, but he's turning it into something called like Spanish Kitchen or something, which I think is going to be like a little more casual. Not that Julio is super fancy, but yeah. more casual. Um, so yeah, when I was up there, maybe maybe it's when I was up there a couple of weeks ago, I went past and they're remodeling it into... Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so... But, but there is one downtown, and it's by that cool gallery, portrait gallery. Yeah, in... Um, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, yeah, it's by the... Yes, it is by the National Portrait Gallery. Gallery place, Judiciary Square. I, I am embarrassed. Mount Vernon? No. What? I mean, it's called Gallery Place, isn't it? Because of the gallery? Pen Quarter. There we go. That's what that's called. Pen also, Quarter. yes. Pen Quarter, the neighborhood. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's by the the stadium sort of by the convention center mm -hmm. pen quarter is the name of like the oh your dad professional. rookie uh it's the name of the neighborhood over there pen quarter um yeah so also you know try his other restaurants which are all kind of within a block like oymel is mexican kitty corner across from haleo is oymel which is maybe better it's in some ways really they have good. some awesome dishes mm -hmm. don't necessarily get the grasshopper tacos mm -hmm. but you could uh china chelcano is there which is yeah. peruvian like asian fusion because there's a lot of asian influences in peruvian cuisine like that's really dried good. out corn to snack on yeah it's popcorn but uh not like american popcorn like, like peruvian popcorn short of popping yeah no it pops but it doesn't turn into like a big fluffy white ball yeah it, the first time that we went it was pretty good and the second time we went we found exactly the right dishes and it was great and their drinks are also really good and zaitania which is also right there which is mediterranean uh super fantastic those are all jose andreas restaurants so that's those are like big things to hit um, in terms of general stuff to do like the spy museum always worth a visit it's one of the few museums you have to pay for in dc and it moved i mean that they won't know that but yeah it's now l'enfant plaza right i think so um but yeah, so, you know, the Smithsonian's are all free. So I think, you know, now you need tickets for them because uh, they are open, but they're restricting, you know, how many people come in. But all of those are free and totally worth going to. Um, if you like those sorts of things, the Air and Space Museum, I mean, the one in DC is great, but then they have a way bigger one out by Dulles Airport. So you basically need a car to get there but it's like a hangar. They have a space shuttle. They've got an SR-71 Blackbird, which is like the do coolest thing. Concord. I don't, I, I don't, don't think, think they so. do. No. They have the Enola Gay though. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> I cool. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, you know, the one in DC is like a regular museum space. So they've, you know, they've got some rockets and, and a couple planes in there, like but they the have a lunar module that went landed on space. Yes. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish it, but they have right. like full size, big ass stuff in the hangar at, uh, Udvar Hazi, yeah. um, which is the air and space museum out by Dulles. So that if you've got a car, is a great one to visit yeah um that a lot of just the you know you come to dc tourists miss but yeah the spy museum is not part of the smithsonian so you have to pay but it's great i i mean totally it's super it. fun really good exhibits you know good it's a museum that like is really good to take kids to but also is like engaging and fun as an adult and you don't feel like you're at a kid's museum i i have 
30 seconds on DC. Yeah, go for it. You'll go to the, if you just hang out in the, the National Mall and the like, you know, Federal District, Lincoln Memorial, Capitol, Smithsonian Museums. Yeah. You'll, that's great during the day, but it's dead at night. Oh, at yeah. At night, you'll have to go to a, an area like the one around Haleo. Pin Porter, yeah. Yeah, or, or uh, Adams Morgan or someplace that just ha- is thick with restaurants and nightlife. DuPont Circle. To get a yeah. real flavor, even Georgetown, even though yeah, I sure. turned my nose up at the people who turn their nose up there. <laughs> um, but you, you sort of have to go to a different neighborhood than the, the federal district. A lot of tourists, yeah. when I was there from Ohio, I'd, like you go to the museums and then it's dead after 3 p.m., and you're just like, this city's stupid. But it's because everyone who, who lives there doesn't live, you know, on the on the National Mall. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you're looking for a particular thing, like, you know, a certain age group, like, you know, Georgetown, you are going to have more college students. It's definitely not all that. Um, mm-hmm. But the Georgetown students are around there. Um, you know, DuPont Circle, kind of Adams Morgan, big gay crowd up there yes. which is you know not exclusively right but if right. like you want a pride atmosphere like that's where you're going to get it circle and up yeah yeah um yeah pin quarter is a little more just kind of like a lot of restaurants there's there's a few clubs up there but like bars and stuff um so there's always like lots of random nightlights stu- night yeah and now there's the there. if you go out of that area completely on on the other side right the hd corridor on each street north Yep. You also have to know their quadrants. So there'll be a 6th Street, a 501 6th Street. There's four of those in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> there's one, like, across the river in the south. There's just four quadrants. Yeah, so you have to pay attention to northwest, northeast. Almost everything you're going to do will be in northwest, though, pretty much. I mean, even, like, if you go up to U Street, which is, like, a, a like super fun mm-hmm. place, like, a lot of dancing, um, you know, more black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like Georgetown is super white. Uh, you, you know, Dupont Circle and Adams Morgan are mixed, um, but you know it's a much more traditionally. Ben's Chili Bowl is up on U Street. Um, oh, that's right. You know, one of the only places that stayed open during the riots in 1968 in DC. Um, it's a super fun place to go. I mean, we've you know we had a couple like favorite bars and stuff up there. Um, that's still in Northwest. Yeah, the so. Basilica's in North, Northeast. Yeah, I mean if they don't. They don't have a great nightlife at the Basilica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, where in Germany is your dad from? I'm from Wolfsburg, which is VW city. That's kind of like Detroit in Germany. If you're well, VW is in Wolfsburg, uh, and that's my where my dad worked. So I was born there, and then uh, my parents moved to Bad Dürkheim, which is in the Rhineland Palatinate area, which is in, like south of, you know, towards the French border down there. Um, and my parents now live on the Bodensee, which is the border of Switzerland, Austria, and Germany. Yep, it's beautiful. Yeah, but I was born in Wolfsburg, and I lived in Bad Dürkheim for... No, I don't think I even lived there. I just visited back when I was in school in the States. The majority of your life, your parents lived there, even though it wasn't a lot of your life with them. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, any tips on avoiding academic burnout, especially in grad programs? I guess that one's mostly for me, though you may have law school thoughts, though it's been a while. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it can be hard because ag- academia is one of those spaces where they go like, you should be all consumed with passion for what you do. Like, it should be your life. And so you should just want to work on it all the time. Um, there's a, 
a kind of ethos of the number of hours you're working every week is really a sign of like how good and successful you are there too. Uh, Absolutely. That's a lot of places in America. Yeah. Um, you know, especially as like a graduate student and an assistant professor, like I'm working 90 hours a week, I'm working 100 hours a week, like look at how hard I'm working. Because there is, like there's some bullshit article that came out a few years ago, like the least stressful jobs and professor was on there and every professor was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like you think we teach two classes and like that's what we do? Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's some I mean, I think it literally was like high school teachers teach six classes every semester and professors only teach two and it's like you have no idea that's 30 percent of our job is our teaching right i I don't think people do i was surprised how like it's all research the classes classroom teaching is not the focus really of academic research yeah not a a big university not a big research university right you there are teaching universities and their professors do teach four or five classes a semester they're they aren't expected to do research so all they do is teaching and advising and direct work with students yeah um and look i mean research in academia like if you're at a research one like i am um you know a lot of that overlaps with teaching but you're teaching individual phd students how to do research or individual master students which is different than, you know, teaching a class of 150 undergrads. Um, but yeah, so all of that pressure is mostly on the research side. You know, how much are you churning out? Publish or perish. Yeah, it's a thing. And, you know, it depends on, it's different in different disciplines, right? Like, so in academia, like if you're, a pro, if you're on the tenure track, right, you're a professor, you come in on the tenure track, which I would be, it's sort of like what people think of as the, the gold standard track of what you're doing, which is, you know, a lot of people choose not to do it for like really legit reasons, but the, the kind of shining star path is you get your PhD and then you maybe do or don't do a postdoc. And then you go into a tenure track job and you're an assistant professor and you go up for tenure and then you're an associate and then you're a full and then you retire and you become an emeritus, right? That's the, that's the track of like shooting star through academia. Yeah. Um, which I have followed. <laughs> That's exactly what I've done. I'm a full professor now, so I'm done getting promoted. And, you know, when I, so you spend six years as an assistant professor and then you go up for tenure. And once you get tenure, you can't really get fired unless you do something very, very bad. So you, it's a, you know, there's a big raise, but it's mostly suddenly your job is secure where it's not secure as an assistant professor. And every, every place has different standards on which you're judged to get tenure. So if you're in the humanities, in a lot of fields, they want you to have a book contract. Maybe your book is published, but at least you have a contract with a publisher for your book so the prospectus and everything has been written. That's, that's what you have to have. In computer science, they could not give a fuck if you have published a book. I think I had published four. Would not have mattered at all yeah. that I had written a book. Um, they want papers. They want articles. And, it, you know, a lot of, most of the sciences are like that, but also like business, a lot of the social sciences, but what venues it, they're at matters. So in computer science, we mostly publish at conferences. Um, conferences are like social events in a lot of the social sciences where you just go to meet people, but it's our main publishing venue. Um, in a lot of other places is journals, like business schools will have like, these are the four journals that we c- say count. We don't care about anything else, but we expect you to have six articles published in one of these four journals before you go up. So it's real clear. Uh, Computer science is a little squishier, but there's ranked stuff. And so I say all that just to be like, you know, you have to know what the standards are that you're judged by. And my attitude was, I'm working really hard. And I definitely worked a lot. I liked what I was doing. 
Um, but I also reached burnout at many different <laughs> times. Um, I worked a lot and I kind of was like, look, I generally know what a good person looks like in my field. I've worked really hard. I couldn't have worked harder without hurting myself. And I've worked on stuff that I really care about, which is what I want to do. So if they don't give me tenure, I don't probably don't want it, <laughs> which is a hard thing to say. Like it would have sucked if they hadn't given it to me. But if I'm like, I have worked really hard on things I really care about that I think are in line with what you want. And if they're like, that's not good enough, it's a sign that like I have picked the wrong job. Uh, so I was like, I'm not all that worried. Like, I think I've done plenty, but if this isn't enough, I really need to be looking for something else anyway. So, you know, how you avoid burnout depends so much on your own style. Like some people really set hours for themselves. Like they work, they work academia as a nine to five, which is not what we're generally set up for, but they're, they're like, this is when I start and this is when I'm done. And you know, there's occasionally a thing that goes over, um, that doesn't work for me at all. But if that works for you, like, that's a good thing. Other than that, like, I like to think of, and, and this probably works for a lot of jobs, like, here's the stuff I have to do so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> this, this is the level I'm operating at now <laughs> for the, about the last year. I have to teach my classes. I have to get stuff graded. I have to respond to these emails. I have to keep these things running. This is the stuff where I'm going to fail other people. And someone's going to be like, Jen, what the hell? Why aren't you doing your job? Um, and then there's the ideal of what I would be doing as like the scientist that I want to be, which is a lot more than what I'm doing right now. And try to fall in the middle there somewhere. But you don't have to, the, the folly I think of a lot of people in academia, grad students included, is that you see here's what the perfect academic looks like. You know, here, here's Jen outside of COVID. She's publishing eight articles a year, most of them first authored at high profile conferences and is doing all of this other stuff really well. That's a level that most people can't get to. And they go, well, I'm screwing up because I'm not doing that. And it's like, man, I'm doing it because like I found a really productive way for me to do some of this stuff, but you don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to always be working at that top level. And this, this year, I mean, I published a quarter of the number of papers that I normally do because I'm doing other stuff. So you don't have to work at that ideal peak all the time. And that's really hard because academia is so competitive a lot of time that you see I could be doing harder and you don't have to do that. You need to find where are you going to fall in the middle and, and also, you know, gauge that against what are the expectations of whatever you're doing next. You know, if you're a grad student, you're looking for a faculty job, like get good advice on what you have to achieve and then work to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's, Figure out why you're burning out, too. One is just working too hard at something you really like. Yep. That that definitely burns you out. But it could also be that you don't actually like academia. I, I went to law school, right? And it's very theoretical. And it's very much mm -hmm. the academic track is just, just to go from law school to uh, Supreme Court clerkship and then professor. Yeah. Um, and it's also about publishing and you know, evaluating what the law should be and is this a good rule for society and what, how, how could we reform this? And so it's very abstract and very academic. And I, after three years, I mean, I was sick of it in law school. I just wanted to know the rule and move on. What, what's the practical effect? How do you win a trial, right? Yeah. You don't learn that in law school. So <clears throat> if, if you may not want to be in academia, right? So do your, get your degree. I mean, this is such And get out advice. and go into business, right? Because it's, there might be a shiny PhD out there, but 
if it's miserable and you're not actually going to be a professor or you're going to be a miserable professor, don't do it. Just find what you want to do with it, right? Do you, do you want results? Do you want, do you need to create something? Do you need to make things? Then it's not academia, right? I mean, this is a discussion that we have with students a lot, that they feel like the PhD is the top degree, yeah. which is not true. It's training to be a researcher, right? It's So one of my colleagues says, because I was like, it's kind of like getting an MD and not being a doctor. And she's like, no, it's like getting a dental degree and then not being a dentist. Like people get MDs for the prestige, but nobody goes to dental school and gets like a DDS or, or whatever right. that it is uh, and then doesn't be a dentist, right? It's a very specific kind of training that you're getting with a PhD. So, And it's going to take you four or five years. And even though you generally don't pay for a PhD, you know, that tuition's paid for, you get a little stipend. If you have a master's in whatever your field is, you could be making... Hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars a year instead of twenty thousand dollars a year, so you're giving up say half a million dollars of lost income to get a PhD, which is fine if you want to be a researcher. But if you don't want to be a researcher, if it doesn't excite you those things, then don't get a PhD. And if you're in a PhD program and you like what you're doing, but you look at academic life, which is all around you, and you go, this doesn't seem all that fun. You don't have to become a tenure track professor. Like you can go get, you know, depending on what your field is, like you can go get an industry job. I would have made like three times my academic salary if I had just taken a job in industry. Um, and, you know, the skill, especially if you're on the sciences or even the social sciences now, those skills are super in demand in terms of analytics. You can get an industry job with a PhD, do like a little research, but that's much more driven by like practice, right? Yeah. By like stuff you're going to do. Build something, make something, yeah. And for me, like, I couldn't be more bored by the idea of building a system for people to use. Like, it's just not at all exciting for me. But, like, that's a little weird, right? A lot of people, like, find it really gratifying to, like, build a thing that people like and that helps them. Yeah. Um, so don't get caught up in the ego of it. Uh, and this is more kind of general advice for people thinking about academia. Like, if you don't like it or you're not going to use it, you don't have to do that shooting star path. Like that's a it's a kind of lame shooting star path. Like a, like like what do you end up with? Oh, here's Dan. I'm a full professor at a research university. I mean like that I couldn't be happier, right? It's worked out great for me. But man, how miserable would life be if you're like I don't really like teaching students and it's a real slog to write papers and uh, the committee works kind of mediocre and I just wish I could do something practical like you've shot your star into a really crappy place and you yeah. know there's a lot of other stuff to do so um it's good and, and we do this with all of our students it's good to be continually reflecting on like if you if you just had the freedom to do whatever you want and say unlimited funds total freedom what would you want to do yeah put your ego aside what would you want to do yeah yeah because yeah. you get that's a fast way to burn out is to be in a job where you're doing stuff you don't care about yep yeah. All right, let's do one more, and then I think we'll finish part one, refresh our drinks, and... We haven't gotten close to 480 questions. I know. <laughs> I'm skipping some. <laughs> so I'm skipping some, like, which dog would be in, like, each Harry Potter house? And it's like, I don't know, and I don't think about these things. Or we like, have no Slytherins. What... I don't even know what that means. What, like, what famous actor would each dog be? Like, I'm just not answering these things because I don't think about these. There's a golden ratio Reddit... <laughs> page or subreddit, oh, is that right? a golden ratio subreddit i like pop in there every six months and say hello uh but that would be a perfect question for the golden ratio 
subreddit. Uh, <laughs> There's no right answer on these things. No, and like it's just not how I think about the dogs. Or like, what would their voices sound like? I mean, they don't have voices. That's well, what they'd sound like. They, they sound, sound like they sound. Now. They sound weird enough already. What's your favorite hair removal methods? Oh, for dogs in houses. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that one's getting very intimate. <laughs> Someone says, so what are foods foods? I mean, I don't really know. Anything but carbohydrates. I mean, just keto means not yeah. carbos. So yeah, no no I, sugar, no starch. Yep. I don't know what the full list is, but I'm learning. Why did you learn German? Is it because GR dad is German or is it a happy coincidence? Do any of the dogs know German commands? So I took German in high school actually um and it has served me well now that i found a german to marry <laughs> it's actually secretly the only reason i married you dear dad is because my high school german could be put to work good work i'll uh, take it i don't care yeah it's so yeah so i learned in high school um i took it all all through high school and so there's a lot of it buried in there and the structure of it's pretty buried in there but my vocabulary sucks and dear dad doesn't speak german around the house and so i you know I re every year my new year's resolution is like this year i'm really gonna yeah. buckle down and learn the german and so now, like now i've got all these german podcasts that i never listen to because i'm like it's so much work yeah. yeah and i'm so in the american culture that i like i'm starting to listen to some german podcasts occasionally and stuff but it's you know i, I don't do code switching that much yeah uh, will you ever do another live show after COVID is over i think yes i think yes those were those were we great really like yeah um, probably, I mean, I think, you know, we're really going to be conservative about it and wait till like everybody's vaccinated and things are good. So it may be into 2020 when we do one, yeah. but I think Orlando is probably a good shot for them. I mean, maybe Miami, uh, but someplace that it's like easy for people to travel to, including us. And, uh, we were looking at Orlando before COVID Mm -hmm. and there were some really good venues there that had like big outdoor spaces. The nice thing about Orlando is that there's a ton of space. Yeah, and um, outdoor works because the weather's so nice. Yeah, and like we need it, right? Like the shows are fun, and I've definitely thought of ways to make the stage show part better, but that's an hour, and we end up spending six hours <laughs> because everybody meets the dogs and meets us and takes yeah, selfies. Yeah, we need a spot for the dogs to wander around. Yeah, the, the outside part is a you know, or the meet and greet afterwards, which isn't exclusive. Like we just go outside and talk with everybody. Like that's much more of the attraction for everyone, I think. So we need a big space. Yeah. So probably Orlando um, will be next one. And then, you know, then we'll see. Like we were looking at doing one in Boston because there's a lot of friends of the squad up there. And we've got the big cheese RV now. If any, yeah, that's right. If anyone has a project, you know, desire, look for theaters that seat, mm, say a thousand ish not much less 900 would be okay um i don't know that we'd fill a 2000 seat but 1500 would be okay so say 900 to 1500 seats in a space with a good outdoor lawn that allows dogs which is quite tricky to find a theater that allows yeah, dogs, dogs on and behind stage yep um, and we'll certainly do another show in rockville in maryland like that's that. a great venue yeah the yeah. theater there is great they love us um, it worked so good for the two shows we did before and then obviously like we're right at home yeah, if Chicago one, so. weren't so far. The Athenum was good too. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. So I don't know. I mean, it's easier now with the RV mm -hmm. for sure. But so yeah, there definitely will be shows post COVID. Honestly, Maryland will probably be the first one. But then I would also expect a a Florida one since we like spending our time down here, especially like a winter Florida one. Yeah, you know, because it doesn't rain here as much in the winter. Um, 
Okay, why don't we take a break? And then, you know, for everybody else, we'll have tomorrow's podcast. Should I do the 1,200 words now or later? I think later, that this is just going to be part one. Okay. We'll release these kind of back to back. Well, yeah, we're doing them back to back. We're going to record them back to back, but we'll, uh, so that's just going to be part one and two of this week's podcast. And so at the end of part two, you can do all the German words and we'll do our conch life story. Okay. All right. Well, um, what am I going to say? No. (laughs) (laughs) Until you turn on the next podcast, don't bite anyone unless they ask you to. Yeah. Don't bite anyone. Bye. Bye. For now. 